0: Welcome to episode number 47 of The Thermal. I'm your host, Harry Timcate. In this episode, doing it right when your sustainer motor won't stow. We talk to a pilot who executed the perfect emergency landing. Existential angst, the anti-aviation movement targets Boulder Airport and the local gliding club. Unbridled enthusiasm. We talk to a 14-year-old glider pilot who can't stop smiling. That's all on episode number 47. The thermal. Many of us fly gliders that are self launch or have sustainer engines to avoid landouts. They're fantastic machines that, in theory, can make the hassle of trailer recoveries a thing of the past. But engine equipped gliders don't always work out the way they're supposed to. Trevor Stewart was flying his ASG 29ES, which stands for Electric Start, on a nice cross country flight when things started to go sideways. For the rest of the story, I've reached Stuart at home in Cheltenham, England. Hello, Trevor. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hi,
1: Harry. You're welcome.
0: So, this is a really intriguing story for me. Put me in the cockpit that day and and kind of talk us through what happened and what you were doing.
1: Okay, I'll try. Um, So that day, so this was uh, August last year, I had done a a good flight up to, to North Wales, to Bristatin on the coast. And um, everything was fine. And I turned around to come back, um, pretty much uh, crosswind or interwind a bit, coming back. And I got low, as I do quite often, and by <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the engine. <laughs> um, I got low, by the engine, and um, I ran the engine, I think, for about six minutes and climbed up. And I was approaching a range of hills, which I had to go over and um, before I got to a height that I was comfortable to uh, turn the engine off uh, I had an alarm go off um, uh, an interrupted audible alarm and um, the the interruption then became a continuous alarm um, which is more serious and I looked at my display and it was a, a temperature warning and I wasn't very happy about that. And, and this is an electric engine, or or it, it, no, it's it's a combustion engine. It's one of the the solo engines that, okay, uh, yeah. that are popular in, in, in gliders. But this one is slightly uh, different because it's got um, an electric starter motor that, that that starts that that does the initial um, starting of the engine. Um, okay, unlike to, uh, other.
0: Um Engines like that, where you've got a grid gain some airspeed, get the prop out, and that, and then it starts.
1: Exactly, what this one is, it avoids that nose down attitude to put on speed to, to right. fire it. You don't, you don't have to do that. You, you fire it at about sixty, sixty-two knots okay. or so, um, which is much more sort of civilized. Um, so I had this audible alarm, a continuous alarm, and a, an a, and a engine uh, a temperature warning, and uh, I hadn't. This hadn't happened before. Uh, so not uh, not very really happy about it, and I thought it prudent to to stop the engine. So I uh, fired this and uh, removed the, moved the switch to turn it off, and uh, the propeller slowed down and it stopped. One of the features of this uh, system is the propeller stops uh, vertically, or well, nine right. times out of ten, it it stops vertically, um, and then it winds itself away.
0: And did do that wind it away? All, immediately, or do you have a cooling it, it, position it, it, for a while? Yeah,
1: Yes, al- al- almost instantaneous. So it's all, all electronic. It stops vertically, and it winds itself into the fuse automatically. Okay, without, a, without a cooling
0: with it, se- without a cooling period. You,
1: you don't, you don't have to cool it. No, okay. it's unlike um, your self-launcher. This is, um, yeah, you don't have to cool it. Okay. So, um, so it stopped vertically, but it did not wind away. Um, and I thought, that's that, that's odd. Why not? And then a few seconds later, the prop moved by, I know, 10, 15 degrees, no longer vertical, and it won't wind away if it's not vertical as a safety feature, mm-hmm. you can imagine.
0: Yeah, sure, it's going to wreck it.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I still w- wasn't concerned about that because um, all I needed to do was fire the other switch, um, the starter motor switch, spin the prop two or three times, then it will stop vertically and it will wind away next time. But as I went for the switch, um, the starter motor, it, it was, it was, it, it, nothing happened. Um, so and I'm going to interrupt just for also, a sec.
0: How, how high yeah. are you?
1: Right, that's a good question. I was, I was going over this small range of hills, and I was about 1,000 feet over the ground. Okay, so that that's point. not much time. Not, not, not a lot of time, no. But I had the, the benefit of the height of the hills as well. Okay. So I had more height if I went in, in, into the valley. Um, so I had an engine that I couldn't restart, and I couldn't wind away. So it, it was a no-brainer. I had to land. So I did a 180 and went back downwind thinking, golly, I'm <laughs> not not very happy about this. I've got to land. Um. Wales, I don't know if you know Wales, but it's not, not that landable. It's very undulating, very hilly, if not mountainous. Not much is horizontal apart, yeah, from, yeah. apart from the lakes. and There's a lot of sheep farming. Um, and then there's not a great selection of fields. There are fields, but you know, you're not, you're not spot for choice. So I passed a small peak um, on my left, and, and Trevor, I'm going to keep interrupting
0: admi- you just for a sec here because yeah, I'm putting sure, myself sure. in the cockpit. So you've got the the prop hanging out. What's the? So you're at a thousand feet. You've got a, yep. an immense amount of drag on the aircraft.
1: Well, I I, I disagree there, Henry. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I've never considered it an immense amount of drag. Yes, of course there's drag, but you're still flying a glider. But you're flying a glider with 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 a reduced performance with with reduced range. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um but you're not. People often think, oh, they're falling out of the sky, and that just isn't the case. They will fall out of the sky if the prop is windmilling. Mm -hmm. That that makes a big difference. But this prop is stationary, so yeah, that's reassuring for somebody
0: who flies a a self-launcher. So
1: yes, I mean, I I don't think people practice this enough. Really, they should do a circuit, put the engine out, and and land at the home airfield. And you know, it's not a drama. Um, Yes, you're aware of it, but it's, it's it's not a drama. Um, but I did need to land. There was no way I was going to thermal away from this situation. Right. Um, so there's an adage. There's a couple of adages from a long back, long way back in my gliding. Um, the first one is 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 um, doing a good approach into a bad field is better than a bad approach into a good field. <laughs> and I think that's yep. very true. And yep. I tried to adhere to that. And the other line I heard many years ago was um was once you've chosen the field keep with that selection unless there's a very good reason to change your mind yep. keep with the field the field you've chosen so with those two things that I tried to adhere to um, I saw on my left a landing area it was near the top of a small hill but it, it was a clearly defined field it had um, dry stone walls dry stone walling marking it and it looked big enough and it was very clearly upslope. I couldn't, you couldn't determine exactly how steep it was, but it was definitely upslope, and it was into wind. So I thought I could land there, and it's, it's it's a bird in the hand. There may have been a better field if I went on a bit further into the valley, but I had to find one, and there was no guarantee mm-hmm. I was going to find one. So it really was a no-brainer. I'm going in this field. Um, so after that, once I'd chosen the field i don't' know, I don't know about you when you when you get low, you, you get anxious, but that anxiety goes away when you found a landing place, so I'd found a landing place, and I was happy then, and then after that, it was a you know a pretty much
0: right. execute a, a, a what routine. you do know,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so um yes, there was i suppose a, 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 a probably um uh, thirty seconds uh also, when I was anxious, when clearly I had a, you know, Houston, I've got a problem. Um, but once I'd found the field or, or land, then I was, I, I felt okay. Um, and um, it was one of my better landings. And, and I love the bit when you do an outlanding and everything goes quiet and everything's yes. intact.
0: And you, but you had to apply a lot of stuff there. Not very many of us have landed uphill in a field, right? Where you've got to have the extra speed and all those things
1: yeah landing uphill again another one of those things we can't practice but it is it requires much more concentration than landing on a, on a flat field because as you say more speed um, there's less margin for error your round out has got to be you know pretty close to the ground and you've got to do it in in one movement I, I you can't do it I don't think you can do it gradually you've got to do it in, in one go mm-hmm. Um so um, yes, you, 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 you're really concentrating um, because you know you you know you've got to get this right. Um, but I've done a few over the years, uh, um, uphill landings, and um, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> the glider stops very quickly.
0: So you, you, the glider is in good shape. There's nothing wrong uh, the well, other than that, the engine that wouldn't yeah, start. But yeah,
1: <laughs> the glider's absolutely fine. Not not a scratch on it. Uh, I, I was so, so pleased with that, and I was. To be honest, you know, a bit lucky because when you get out and walk the field, there were boulders within the field, yeah. and I could have, sure. I could have hit one of those.
0: Yeah, but it worked out, which is great. Now, did you ever find out what was wrong with the engine?
1: Uh, <laughs> good question. Um, no, no, I didn't. I contacted um, Schleicher's uh, by email uh, a few days afterwards and explained what happened. And they asked me um what um what what the temperature display was uh, but evidently there was, there were two flavors of temperature there's a um the starter motor temperature, and there's something they call the, um, um, the starter controller temperature. Uh, I think they refer to that as the power plant temperature in their email. So I didn't even know there were two temperature displays, so okay. I wasn't able to answer their question. so it's um no, never got to the bottom of it. Although uh, another thing, uh, Schlegers asked. They asked <clears throat> about the engine start procedure. When I started it that day, um, and they asked if I started it twice, and I thought that's an interesting question because yes, I did start it twice. Um, so my my starting procedure is to um, to extend the engine um, and then start the, operate the starter motor. Um, which winds prepare up to about 2,000 revs. At that point, the airspeed should take over. Winds it up to about 4,000 revs, and then it fires. And that whole process takes five seconds. It seems longer, but it's just five seconds. But if you take your finger off the switch prematurely, and it's not got sufficient airspeed, then it will stop. And that's what happened that day. It stopped. So I did it again. So it might come down to good old pilot error that I had misoperated it on that firing. That Although, you know what, product.
0: to me, that doesn't sound like pilot error. That sounds like a design problem because, you know, hands, fingers can slip off switches for all sorts of reasons, right?
1: Yeah, and indeed, I've done this before. I've done this sort of duplicate starts before, and, and it's never been a problem before. But, I mean, I've flown the glider um, 12 times, Since then and I fired the engine a good half times or so during those flights and every time it's been textbook I can't reproduce it so
0: a gremlin yeah a ghost there you go who knows
1: what yeah one of those so
0: I'm glad that all worked out and I, I appreciate you telling us in detail about how you carried out this landing because somebody like me who also flies a uh, an engine equipped uh glider it's nice to hear these stories firsthand because we can all learn from it
1: i hope so i mean this was unusual because i think prompt for turbo gliders people will complain engine engines are not starting um and i think that or it should be less of a problem with it not starting because you should be in the circuit for a field and you merely Land in that field. This yeah. is unusual because there's a, an engine not stopping in effect, and you know, I, I hadn't chosen the field. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, th-
0: but the, I the, think people s- Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead.
1: No, I, 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 I've been flying turbo gliders for 20 years now. Um, first one was a, a Limber 3DT, and I'm very pro uh turbo gliders they offer a lot i think they can i think they do double the amount of flying that you can do there's lots of virtues to them but um they're not they're not foolproof no matter what type of auxiliary engine you have um electric combustion or fez or extending whatever they're not foolproof and um I, I'm 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 concerned now with the way gliding is going. In the time I've been gliding, there were no engines when I started, so now people are coming into gliding. They see these fancy, very smart, impressive machines, um, and they they buy into them early on in their flying career, but they've got no or little outlanding experience. So I think um, I think care is needed. I'm not yes. sure. Um, you know the gliding movement, I don't know what it's like where you are, but there's no training for people starting to buy turbo gliders.
0: yeah, no, it's um, a you can choose to get it. you can go look for it, but it's not uh, required you know here in Canada, for example, I don't need <laughs> any kind of endorsement to my license at all you know
1: yeah it, it's, it's exactly the same here. so people are buying these gliders um, with maybe maybe just 200 hours experience um and, uh, and and they haven't done any outlandings or maybe they've done one or two but um i worry about people buying these gliders and uh, and having these problems and not really having the experience to deal with it
0: yeah yeah i, I there's some truth to that absolutely now trevor the story isn't finished because this also turned into an epic retrieve for you right
1: Indeed, indeed, yes, an overnight retrieve.
0: So, tell me about that.
1: Well, after landing, I rang my uh, my favourite friend Alan, and uh, told him what had happened. And uh, Alan's great. Alan, Alan's come to get me uh, more than once, uh, many times. And uh, he he came out with his son Joe, a young grandson, um, and uh, he he uh, he came up and. Uh, I was quite confident we were going to be able to retrieve this glider because I've got this Land Rover and I'm quite 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 proud of the Land Rover. It's a very capable machine, and um, hey, this was going to be a a really classic British
0: vehicle to do the job, right?
1: Exactly, (laughs) built for the job. Exactly. So I was actually quite looking forward to retrieving off off the the hillside. but when it came down to it, um, my ambitions were unrealistic. Um, I mean, it just it just couldn't it wouldn't touch it. So then I thought, oh golly, what does this mean? Just is, is this a helicopter retrieve? Goodness, <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> now? But I wasn't I wasn't too concerned because the glider was safe and I was safe. And I thought, well, we'll leave it for today. We 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 got the, the trailer stuck up there, and we thought, we'll leave it today. We'll walk away from it. We'll come back tomorrow. But I was keen to try and find the farmer before we left it there, um, which we did eventually. And uh, he was—he saved the day. He was a complete puppet. He was enthralled by what had happened. He was fascinated by how the trailer worked, how we were going to get the glider in the trailer. <laughs> and uh, and he was—he was keen. Those are um, the
0: kind he, of farmers we all want.
1: Oh no, he—I mean, he really did save the day. He, he was lovely, um, and. Uh, so with with the ADB's tractor, and it didn't need a tractor uh, to get the trailer up there, uh, we did it very gingerly, very slowly. And he knew the route, importantly. I was going the wrong way. Uh, he knew a better way. Um, so uh, with his help, we, we we got it back. And um, although a long, exhausting, the longest retrieve I've, I've had, in, in, you know, you know spent over two days, um, it, it was uh, exhilarating, but no rush to do it again.
0: It's a good story, though.
1: <laughs> it is a very good story, and I, I couldn't resist writing up Press and G. I thought, well, that's—you're not going to get many stories like that. It's yeah. worthy of uh, putting in the magazine, so Absolutely. I'm glad I did it. I've got some lovely pictures from it as well.
0: I saw that, and I'll, I'll get those from you, and and I'll put those on uh, the the Thermals Facebook page when we uh, publish this interview uh, on the show.
1: I will get those off to you, certainly.
0: Great. Now, Trevor, before I let you go, tell me a little bit about your gliding history. How long have you been flying? Where did you start? That kind of thing.
1: Uh, It is now 50 years, amazingly, 50 years this year. Um, I started uh, in Lasham in Hampshire. Um, I did a week's uh, gliding course. Um, Well, it was a week's holiday. I didn't know what I was signing up for. I was signing up for an activity holiday. And I did this with... um, four other people uh, three chaps and a lovely girl and um, we did this in a motor fork and I wasn't I wasn't impressed yeah. um, but on the last day on the Friday <clears throat> they put us in a k13 and I thought oh this is good I like this um, and it, I, that was my, the first hook I because of that one flight in the K13 I went back and I carried on going back till I went solo and then what really hooked me was I was a two-seater with an instructor, of course, and um, he said, "Trevor, let, let me uh, let me take the controls." And uh, he flew it, and the glider went up. And I, at that point, I did not know the gliders went up. No. <laughs> we did all this stuff in a motor in a motor fork. We did it in November, um, so I didn't know about thermals. And on, when the glider climbed, that was a point that was really hooked. Like, I want to do this. Um, so I've done it with a few interruptions for real life along the way. I've done it pretty con- continuously since then.
0: And it's still your big passion.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, nothing compares. There's nothing compares. Um, it's it just it's just got everything. It, 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 it gives you what you want. If you want excitement um, and adrenaline, yes, you can do that. If you just want peace and quiet and lovely views, you can do that as well. If you want to fly for one hour or 10 hours, you know, it, yeah. it, uh, I hear and you. And also, I quite, like, I quite like the fact that it's not accessible. You can't say, I'm going to go gliding um, ne- next Friday because obviously you need the weather. And the fact that it's um, not, not, not readily available somehow makes it more attractive.
0: Absolutely. Trevor, any particular plans for this coming gliding season?
1: Uh, nothing particular. Um, no, I haven't got. This sounds a bit dull, but I don't have any goal uh, goals. Um, I just want to carry on what I'm doing. Really, um, I don't have any new new places. Not 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 sensibly. Um, a, a few a, a few ideas up my sleeve. I don't very much. I'm going to do them. Um, but um, but the is yeah, to in, have fun. A few regardless. things in, Yeah, a few things in the fantasy box. <laughs>
0: Trevor, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you uh, so much about telling us in detail about what happened and and how you reacted. It's it's good food for thought for all of us uh, glider pilots with a motor in the back.
1: You're welcome, Harry, and I'll get these pictures off to you. Okay,
0: appreciate it. You take care. And you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Trevor Stewart spoke to me from Cheltenham, England. once in a while a book about gliding actually delivers. The Art of Gliding is a labor of love by glider pilot and graphic designer Simon Lemmerer. It's a coffee table hardcover with a focus on gliding in the Alps, but also has fabulous chapters about recent record-breaking flights. Don't wait for your birthday. Search for The Art of Gliding and purchase from your favorite retailer. The Soaring Society of Boulder, Colorado is facing an existential threat. It's an all-too-common problem for many gliding clubs around the world. Boulder City Council is actively considering closing the Boulder Airport, home of the 160-member Soaring Society of Boulder, as well as the local commercial glider operation Mile High Gliding. Clemens Chaipak is the president of the Soaring Society of Boulder. Hey, Clemens, this isn't good news. What's happening here at the airport?
2: Uh, yeah, Harry, uh, this is, um, we just, we're basically fighting against uh, a group of people who wish to turn the airport into, into dense urban housing. Um, and uh, it would be terrible, obviously, for, uh, for our sport uh, and for the airport in general, and for, even for the community, um, if that were to happen.
0: I mean, housing is an issue everywhere, but this airport, I imagine, if the city's considering this, do they own the airport?
2: Uh, the city, yes. The city does own the airport. Uh, it's, so this is the city of Boulder, Colorado. The airport is 96 years old, um, and uh, the city owns the airport, but it has it's complicated in the US uh, the city has uh, if you have if you if you basically just own the airport uh, then you have a 20 year obligation from the last time you accepted federal grant money uh, to keep the airport open uh, but in the case of Boulder uh, the FAA actually uh, has a you know has basically a perpetual right to insist that the airport stays an airport and the reason for that is that the city took um, uh, federal grant money to purchase land for the airport. Um, and The the FAA has declared in in no uncertain terms that they consider the city's obligation to keep the airport open uh, to be permanent.
0: So that looks good for you guys, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) That looks really good, except that there are people who don't wanna believe it, even though, I mean, there's a letter from the FAA and you can find it, um, uh, we've published it uh, for everybody to see. Um, the is the in no uncertain terms insisted that these, this is the situation, um, but there are people who don't want to believe it and they feel like we can do, you know, the city should litigate against that and the city should, uh, eventually there would be a settlement and uh, you know, it may take a lot of I mean, money, but it... Uh,
0: right. yeah. So what about city, is, is this a separate group from city council or are there a group of city councillors that are in favour of this?
2: Um, the city council has been um, pr- reasonably guarded about their position so far um, there was uh, in a, there were a council elections last fall so a few people on the council have changed and it, it's it's really hard to say right now if they had to vote today how a vote would go uh, Interesting. you know there's there's maybe one or two people that we know for sure are uh, strongly, in favor of closing the airport, and there's uh, a few people that are strongly in favor of keeping the airport, and then there's a bunch that seem to be undecided. And I think it's it's really important that uh, we reach the people that are undecided and help them understand what's really going on.
0: You know, as a note, when I used to be on the board of a previous gliding club, we made an effort to <laughs> invite the local members of parliament, the provincial members of parliament, and the mayor on a yearly or bi-yearly basis to come out to the gliding club, see what we do, come for a flight, you know, make friends with these people because, you know, you get noise complaints, people want to shut you down for all sorts of reasons. We we as gl- the gliding community need to be proactive.
2: Yeah, with no, and we, we are doing that, and we have been doing it. It's just this, there's a lot of change. It's a big city, right? It's The Bol- yeah. city of Boulder is about 100,000 uh, people just in the city, and mm-hmm. more than 100,000. There's about 300,000 in the county. Um, and, uh, you know, the airport, the, if you, if you go back a few years, the airport wasn't really even on the, on the radar. So, <laughs> right. um, and, uh, it is now, um, and, uh, we just have to do what we can to make sure we, we keep it.
0: So you're fighting it really hard at the moment, both by getting the word out, lobbying and all of that. Um is there some kind of upcoming vote with council whether they want to litigate or not is that
2: Yeah you know, so there there was uh, there is a petition out to close the airport the the whole thing started because uh, every sort of 10 plus years the FAA requires a master plan uh, or okay. suggests that there's a new master plan for the airport and so we're basically at this time where a new master plan is coming out and mm-hmm. as part of this master plan process, there's, there's only limited community engagement. And so what the city decided to do is, is run a community uh, engagement process last year. And they actually spent a lot of money on this, um, where the community was invited to participate. And we had, a, you know, working groups, uh, several working groups through the whole year. I was a participant on these working groups. And, and basically, the, the, the report and the recommendation that came out of these community working groups was... That there is uh, that the city should keep the airport open, um, mm-hmm. but then the advi- then some very vocal um, uh, airport opponents uh, didn't really like that result, and so they have started a petition to close the airport, to sway the to to basically demonstrate that uh, or to argue that somehow this whole community engagement process was biased towards keeping the airport and that uh, community hadn't been really fully engaged. It was sort of biased. Yeah, you look, know, we, it's know, we know that
0: politics, yeah, yeah. P- politics don't make sense anymore. You know, dog whistle here and there and, you know, raw meat to the hounds that want it. So it's it's very difficult to have a rational sit down conversation with people nowadays.
2: Yeah, it, unfortunately, and I mean, there are people that have a very, very set agenda and have a f- fixed mind and uh, you, yeah. you can do whatever you want. You can't convince them. So. Uh, at this point, basically, I think our best bet is to demonstrate that there is actually more support for the airport in the community than than there is opposition, and I, I strongly believe that that is true. Uh,
0: now, we you mentioned just before we started this interview about the firefighting aspect of this. Yes, yeah, and I think this that?
2: is this is super super critical, uh, and the reason is that uh, that Boulder, the city of Boulder, is directly at the base of the foothills. Of the Rocky Mountains, and we get these very strong westerly winds that are coming over the, uh, the continental divide. And when there is a, and we, we, every year we get wildfires, and it is extremely important to have a super fast response uh, to these wildfires. Um, and, uh, and, and usually, the way this works is with, uh, with aerial firefighting playing by far the biggest role uh, in, yeah. in this firefighting. And so, uh, the Boulder Airport is the staging uh, area for usually for a large fleet of army helicopters uh, as well as uh, you know big aerial firefighters these are these right, are, these are right. monstrous uh, monsters helicopters oh, I, so you couldn't I, accommodate them anywhere else
0: I know it very well here we had the same thing we got shut down in our local airport here in Fairmont it was a fire base and some of us glider pilots went down there to fuel them up because we couldn't fly the smoke was everywhere so but yeah, these airports are super important.
2: Yeah, and when, when a fire breaks out, basically the whole traffic at the airport shuts down immediately and the firefighters yeah. take over. And, you know, there's typically somewhere between... We were sweeping
0: ash off the wings off our gliders in the hangar. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, no. yeah. You got a lot of fires last
0: year, yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Hey, so I remember a story, I don't know, it must have been about 20 years ago, and I think it was Chicago, where they had a little airfield down by the water. And the mayor... I can't remember the full details, but I think he basically said to the FAA, "Too bad, whatever." Ordered bulldozers in and shut the airport down. Yeah, I
2: don't think that Boulder will do this. This was a this was a pretty bad precedent. So, uh, yeah, So the, the 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 city of Chicago, this was Maysfield, uh, and uh, right. Maysfield was basically bulldozed overnight because uh, the and in in violation of all you know of all grant assurances yeah. and all. And it just, they basically established a fait accompli. I, I am confident that the city of Boulder will not do that. The, you know, with pretty <laughs> <laughs> up, you know, straight up people here who, who really, you know, who want to do the right but, thing for the community.
0: Okay. Now, maybe it's too early to ask this question, but uh, do you have a plan B?
2: Uh, we, as a club, uh, our plan B is, is horrible. Uh, we really don't. Um, that's, I mean, we're 160 members. Uh, We are one of the largest gliding clubs in the US, we are one of the most successful gliding clubs in the US, and even in the world, if you look at our results, for example, in, um, you know, on OLC, uh, in the OLC Speed League, we typically are in the top three to five uh, in the US and in the top ten worldwide out of more than a thousand clubs. So um, we're a very successful club. This is one of the best soaring locations in the world, but we have really no good place to go. There there is the next uh, gliding location, it's called Owl Canyon, um, and it's, it's close to the Wyoming border. It's about an hour and a half to two hour drive away. And, and it's, it's the location it's is not practical. It's not practical. And also the location is far, you know, is, is far inferior compared to the location in Boulder because uh, you're much further away from the foothills. So in Boulder, usually when we do a tow, uh, the tows are a few minutes because you basically just, take the, you just tow the gliders um, right from the Boulder airport. It's two miles to the base of the foothills. So you just tow right. the gliders to the base of the foothills where we find the lift, we release, and then we're gone for the whole day. Um, uh, the alternative locations, the tows are, you know, 30, 40 miles one way before the tow plane can return. Yeah, it's expensive. You know, it's not practical. It's so. not practical, yeah. And so for us, there's a lot of people in our club who actually live in Boulder, you know, basically so because of soaring.
0: You know, yeah. Hey, that's why I, I, could, I couldn't imagine with my local airport if that happened. That's why I live here too. So, well, listen, uh, the best of luck. Let's hope that the uh, mayor doesn't rent a bulldozer or do anything rash, and uh, you know that it all goes according to plan with the way you guys want it. So, uh, yeah, keep us up to date and let us know what happens.
2: Uh, we'll do and I mean, I appreciate any support that people can provide. Uh, we've put a petition out to help us. Uh, you can find it at saveboulderairport.com. Um, and uh, I just am encouraging everybody to uh, show a sign of support uh, and help us save our airport. It is one of the best gliding sites in the world.
0: Absolutely. And I'll put that link up on our Facebook page as well. So, all right. Well, uh, pleasure speaking with you again. And um, yeah, good luck.
2: Okay. Thank you, Harry.
0: Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, bye. Soaring Society of Boulder President Clemens Chipak spoke to me from Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> PureTrack is a new way to track and share your gliding adventures online. Developed in New Zealand with a proven track record, it's a great way to let your friends and family follow your flights in real time. PureTrack works with satellite trackers such as Spot or Garmin InReach or an Android or iPhone app, combined with FLARM and ADSB data from around the world. Check it out at PureTrack.io. That's PureTrack.io. been at the gliding game for a few decades now and I'm still very enthusiastic but there's something refreshing and wonderful about new blood that has unbridled enthusiasm for everything gliding Mason Maxwell is a young 14 year old pilot from Scotland and a listener of the thermal he got in touch because he wanted to chat about his gliding club Port Moak and his love of the sport I've reached Mason at home in Glenrothes Scotland hey Mason thanks for getting in touch
3: Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, pretty cool to be on a wee podcast like this. Good.
0: Now, you're obviously a a very enthusiastic and young glider pilot. Tell me a little bit about your uh, gliding experience so far.
3: So, that's actually me. I, was it, last week just got into the single-seater glider. So, Congratulations. Going to have some fun now and that. But um, it actually all started by sort of, I did a bit of photography on the airfield and stuff. And I thought, well, we'll go down and see a bit of gliding. So I just sort of sat in the car park and took photos. And eventually, through the air cadets, I think you have that in Canada as well. uh, Yeah, I'm a
0: former air cadet. I'm a former air cadet. I got Um, the license when I was
3: 16. So, yeah, obviously my pal, Lewis, um, he flew there, well, still flies there. And just speaking to him, he managed to convince me and it was the open day, I think, that I went for like an air experience flight. And it was it was great fun. Uh, so I thought, I want to join.
0: So you joined, took lessons? Exactly. Went solo? Um. So yeah. I
3: heard about, I'm not sure who it was exactly, but I heard that people had went solo on their 14th birthday before, like literally as soon as they possibly can. And I thought, I, I would quite like to try that. So I sort of set myself that goal and thought we'll try, we'll try and manage that, uh, and and I did. So that's so. Awesome. How
0: close to your birthday did you go solo?
3: Literally on my birthday, the actual day. Um,
0: so you turned fourteen and you went solo.
3: Yeah, so that's probably the best birthday I've had so far. Definitely.
0: <laughs> Good for you. That's fantastic.
3: Yeah. Um, and this
0: was all last summer.
3: So it was last October. Um, oh, okay, just a few months ago. Yeah, not too long ago. So unfortunately, it's taken me a while to get in uh, the junior, the single seater, because unfortunately at our club we've got a sort of rule, I'm not sure if it's insurance or whatever, but you have to do 10 K21 solos, so you have to do 10 two-seater solos to sort of get used to it, Yeah. Um, and then eventually you can get into the junior. So.
0: And, and I don't you, think the Scottish weather cooperates uh, at this time of year.
3: That's... Exactly what I was going to say. Um, so it's taken me a wee while because it's just the weather. Plenty of weekends where yeah. I've been going down and just had to sit and study bronze or whatever because it's not flying. Right, right.
0: Wow, that's great for you. And now you're flying the junior. And is are you winch launching or aerotowing? So
3: mainly winch launching. I'm actually not signed off solo on aerotowing yet, um, but okay. not too far away from that. And I only... I've only ever flown the junior twice, but hopefully this weekend they'll get another shot in it. Uh, but it's just so Good much more me. sort of nimble and agile compared to K thirty one.
0: This is true. This is true. I, you know what? It's wonderful to hear the enthusiasm you have. Uh, I mean, I'm still enthusiastic, and I've been flying a heck of a lot longer than you have. But it's it's uh, it's really nice to hear.
3: Well, I mean, I put it this way: gliding is like probably the best thing I have in my life. I mean, throughout the whole week at school. Just wait until the weekend to get to Port Moke, get flying. <laughs> just it's just great.
0: Now how do you get to how far away is your home from Port I, Moke, which I I've been to many years ago?
3: Fifteen minutes away. Uh, I don't stay very far away from the airfield, which is ideal. Because I know people that come from sort of Glasgow, I don't know. Whoever's listening, I don't know if they know where that is, but about two hours away. Um Yeah,
0: so, South, yeah.
3: So yeah, it's 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 definitely a plus. I actually didn't really know it was there. Um, but can fall, you
0: ride your bike to the airfield
3: it would probably take me about three hours and it's there's not oh, okay. many paths and stuff so i, I wouldn't really but unfortunately so unfortunately I'm, I'm lucky my mom and dad get up nice and early and uh, take me take me down to the airfield which is ideal
0: you, you don't you don't think that's just an excuse so that you know you're not hanging around the house all day they just want to get rid of you <laughs> well,
3: it's, if anything it's me dragging them out the house to, to get down to the airfield if,
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Hey, so tell me a little bit about Port Moak. I've I've spoken to one of your fellow pilots there, um, the uh, gentleman who does all the wave soaring.
3: Is it uh, Stant, by any chance?
0: Yes, yes Yes. it is.
3: Um, So Port Moke is is a great site. Um, We've got a big ridge to soar, well, two of them actually. Um, We get wave as well. And I've only ever did one proper wave flight. I got on a wee bit of wave two weekends ago, but only three and a half thousand ish. Um
1: mm-hmm.
3: but it's just it's just a great site and we've got a massive field so launch failures are, are so much easier than somewhere that's just got a single runway.
0: Absolutely, and it's safer.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um in I think it's this April, we've got the cross country development week coming up. So luckily for me I get a week off school uh, to come gliding and it's basically I think it's sort of all the all the best pilots of the UK come up to Pontmok fly cross country give lectures and teach sort of, people like me how to go on big long cross country flights so hopefully that goes well.
0: That's exciting.
3: I'm lucky. I so, think you, I'm, so maybe
0: you'll get your maybe you'll get your 50k next
3: summer. Well, that would be ideal but um I'm lucky I'm flying in the SZD and It was either that or a K-21. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky I got the right. better of the two.
0: <laughs> hey, so obviously you love going solo. You love the flying bit about it, but or the gliding. But what, what is it about gliding that you love so much?
3: I just think the sort of independent kind of the fact that they let, 14 year old going fly a glider on his own and it's just so peaceful up in there, on your mm-hmm. own it's just oh it's brilliant and it's also fun as well flying with instructors as well having a good laugh in there uh, and like learning new things as well it's just <laughs> gliding's just insane it's brilliant
0: now did you have any difficulty getting your parents to come on board to explain to them that it's actually okay for a 14 year old to go fly around by himself
3: well not really. To be fair, um, my dad and well, most of my family are, are right into aviation. Um, I think my dad obviously sports this a lot. I think he's he's a wee bit jealous as well, which is fair enough. But uh, uh,
0: get him to join the club. I
3: <laughs> don't know about that. Bit busy for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. my mum was was a wee bit um so concerned when, when I was saying about flying the junior for the first time because she's like, mm-hmm. oh, you've never flown this glider before. It's you're you flying on your own. What. Are you, Speaking out but at the end of the day it's just a glider it's, it's not too much of, the, of a difference if you know what I mean but yeah this they're, they're all quite big supportive of it especially getting up very early as well taking me down
0: so you're 14 you've still got a couple of years of school left you've, you've just started your your flying uh gliding career if you will what what do you think you're going to do in the future is there an aviation career or are you going to keep gliding so, separate and then become a doctor or something i don't know
3: definitely aviation career um i feel at the moment is my sort of next big thing trying just trying Mm -hmm. to get really good qualifications so i've got lots of options but at the moment Mm -hmm. you've got people like i think it's ba and tui and airlines and stuff that are opening up their fully funded training where you basically apply and they fund your commercial pilot's license compared to this is doing it the other yep, way by yep. paying hundreds of thousands of pounds
0: or you could join the military i guess
3: so there's the raf as well um which especially being in the cadets and stuff as well would help so there's just anything in aviation really, anything flying is all do me um so yeah well, that, that's the sort of dream
0: well good for you mason and it's so important to have these Dreams, and I'm so glad you're actually fulfilling your dreams and went solo at 14. And
3: definitely, you're
0: flying in a good club, supported by great people. So, uh, great little story. So, uh, thanks for getting definitely. in touch with me, and, uh, and yeah, good thanks. luck with everything. Drop me a, a line once in a while and let me know uh, when you've got your first 50K and that kind of thing.
3: Definitely. Uh, thanks very much for having me on, having a chat. Uh, I'll definitely keep in touch. But
0: yeah. Okay, Mason. T- and tell your friends about the podcast.
3: <laughs> oh don't worry i already have <laughs> okay cool Right. all right you, you
0: take care bye-bye all right see you later mason maxwell spoke to me from glen rothis scotland that's it for episode number 47 of the thermal i will be back again early april with another show that will include an update on all things we glide If you have any good interview ideas, please let me know. I can be reached at thethermalpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's thethermalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for centering the Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate. Fly safe.